Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. This is Eric Wright and the host for the Disco Posse podcast. This episode is brought to you by our good friends at Veeam Software. They are your single backup and data management platform for cloud, virtual, and physical. And on top of that, they recently acquired Castin, which makes them now the market leader for Kubernetes backup and disaster recovery. Wicked cool, uh, definitely longtime supporters and longtime friends. I'm a huge advocate. I wouldn't actually let them sponsor if it wasn't for the fact that I love the team and I love the technology and I love the platform and the way they approach things. So if you go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse, you can find out a lot more. You can book a meeting. You can grab a download. You can get a demo, whatever you want to do. So definitely go check it out. Go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse. Make sure you back all that good stuff up. This episode is also brought to you by Velocity Closing. If you're running or involved in technical sales at all in any way, or product management, product marketing, and you need to learn how to better engage with your customers, I've got the solution for you. It starts by understanding how to think like a customer, engage with people in a better way, and to be able to deliver a demo that tells a story that matters to them. So if you go to velocityclosing.com today, right now, you can download our super special. You can download the ebook, the four-step guide to delivering extraordinary software demos that win deals. These are techniques that are proven out. I got lots of great uh, responses, people that are, that are downloading it. They're using the tools, they're using the techniques, and it's working. So go to velocityclosing.com. You can download the ebook right now. And then on top of that, you get access to the upcoming audiobook and the online course. So you get access to yours truly. Uh, I've been a customer uh, for years, and I've been involved in coaching sales teams. So very proud to bring this to the market. Today's show features Vince DiBenedetto. He is the founder of Automated Dreams. Tons of amazing stuff being done in marketing automation. Uh, Vince talks about his real customer-centric approach, uh, some of the real things that he's learned in starting a company, and just a really, really good conversation. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Hey, this is Vince Benedetto. I'm the founder of Automated Dreams out of Portland, Oregon, and you're listening to the Disco Posse Podcast. that we begin Perfect. it's just that easy so vince i uh i've been in the area of automation in general for most of my life mostly because i'm fundamentally lazy uh, and i want to make sure that i do things consistently and, and i think that's for kind of the main reason automation in my mind is not about speed as much as it is velocity it's doing things on a path where you know the path from a to b and you can be consistent that's kind of why we do it I'm also, today I work in a marketing team and I help a lot of companies with marketing. And you and your team uh, are doing really, really neat things around making sure we can take those two things and put them together. And not just in you know, products that are used, but the way in which you take your business and your conversation and your experience and automate as much as possible to make sure that you do human stuff that matters and automate stuff that doesn't. So with that, do you want to just talk, just introduce yourself? We'll talk a bit about Automated Dreams and kind of how you got it all started. Yeah, um, I started Automated Dreams about three years, actually three years ago um, as a 
four days ago. So it's, it's our three-year anniversary. Pretty exciting. Oh, happy anniversary. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess the real reason why I started this is um, I, I see a lot of our uh, clients, a lot of just everybody doing menial tasks that bring no value to them. And I'm like, well, that could be automated. <laughs> and we have a lot of clients um, or the point of contact saying, well, wait, that that's my whole job. I'm like, cool, aren't you a little more valuable than data entry? She's like, oh, yeah, totally. Um, and I'm like, okay, like uh, automated dreams is like, I, I want to make it a dream for the business, like the human talent inside to be able to excel and to deliver value in ways that bring fulfillment um, to their life, to their careers, and, and also um, allow businesses to do things that they've only dreamed of before. Um, you know, a lot of my calls, I'm like, you know, it, you know, just putting aside all of what you know about business, what you think you know about business, what do you wish your business could do? What do you wish you had more time to do? Um, and 95% of the time, I'm like, yeah, we can totally do that. Um, and here's how. Um, so it's just, it's really exciting to, to play in this field. Um, you say it's from A to B, but really it's from A to B to C to D. Yeah, right. There's like, a lot <laughs> of steps. That's, it is definitely not an easy A to B problem. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the fun. There's always something to be done, always something to be improved, um, and you can always make it better. You, your description of it is actually very interesting, and, and that's why I want to sort of dive right in on it. You begin with people, right? The, the first thing is how do we empower people? How do we give them something fulfilling? And we give mm -hmm. them the ability to do stuff that's more fulfilling and more, more uh, has a better, stronger business outcome. And then even mm -hmm. when you talk about business, you really talk about, what would you rather be doing with your business time versus, you know, this being it's core to the business, obviously, but like it shouldn't be where the effort is being wasted, you know, or not say, I shouldn't say wasted. That's a dangerous term misspent. Uh, like it could be spent better because this is necessary stuff. So sometimes we, we kind of got to work out how we want it to go. And only then can we ultimately say, okay, this path is, we can emulate this path now let's automate it and, and bring it closer to a repeatable system. Definitely. How's the, um, so how did it come to you? Like, did you, did you begin really with the idea that I hear, you know, I want to solve a system problem or did you always see that you're just staring at someone's work going, you, you could probably save a lot of time. <laughs> Yeah, um, so I started my company out of, um, I worked for an author called Sark, uh, Susan Ariel Rainbow Kennedy for about a year and a half. Um, and she's really famous for writing her, handwriting her 200 page books in like Sark font. Um, and I started doing everything for her. Like she sold products, she sold mentorship programs, like virtual retreats, in-person retreats and books. Um, and she had this one mastermind about, you know, I think it was called succulent wild entrepreneurs, all these weird terminologies, but basically like, <laughs> it sounds, there's like a, yeah. It sounds very interesting. I've, I've, I'm, 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 everything I've seen is so vanilla now. I actually love this. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's like everyone has an entrepreneur in them and there's value in it. I'm like, well, okay, well, hate to tell you, but you kind of made me want to quit and start my own business. Um, <laughs> And I knew I knew a system called Entreport really well. Um, and Entreport's, I guess, not a niche product, but it's a it's a bootstrapped like smaller version of HubSpot, Direct Competitor, Infusionsoft, Active Campaign, um, and it's an all-in-one marketing platform. Um, but even then, you need more tools to run your business. So I, I just surrounded my myself. I built up my company. Um, we're about twenty people right now. I'm doing 
all things that are related to your CRM systems, your, your marketing tech stack, um, and making sure that you have a cohesive business, that everything is, is integrated together. Um, and I just got far off on that question. So no, no, it's all good. No, but it, it's, it, it was that you, you, you know, if you think about especially who you worked for, she's very much in like artisanal, like little handwriting books. But the funny thing is then in order to power that as a business, there's an incredible amount of systems automation that's involved. Like even the most, like Etsy is a great example, right? All handmade crafts sold on a digital platform. It's a, yeah. a bit of a, seems like a dichotomy sometimes, but in fact, it's, it's the beautiful, you know, sort of salty, sweet, yin yang type of balance that we actually need. Right, right. Um, and really there's like two buckets of people, like businesses that I encounter. There's people who are starting a new business and have like a clean slate, which is always the best to start with. And then we have businesses like solopreneurs turned into big businesses or medium-sized businesses that just sort of have, have this chaotic mess that has allowed them to scale to a certain point, but no longer serves them as a business. Um, so we really focus on consolidating all the tools. Um, you know, it's not uncommon that I've seen tech stacks that are like 40 to 50 tools and we've got it down to, you know, 10 to 15, because that's all you need. And um, most of those tools have been sold as like, uh, this is the tool that gets rid of all your other tools. And then it just becomes another tool in the, in the stack. They're like, I have this tool for pop-ups. I'm like, why? <laughs> like, <you have> <laughs> that does it too. And does, you know, 90 other things uh, where I have this plugin that, you know, changes this one color. Um, so yeah, a lot, a lot of us are, are building a tower of Babel with our businesses. Well, I, I think it's, you've gone into a lot of places and you've got a lot of clients today who, mm -hmm. you know, how, how many unique snowflakes are there? Or like, I'd say it has a good chunk of them fairly common. Maybe the tool names change a bit, but then you see a few new ones come in. Like how wide is the range of tools that you tend to see, you know, let's say in the recent couple of years? It's honestly endless. Um, and I used to feel bad for saying, I, d I don't know what that tool is. Um, it feels like there's, you know, a hundred different SaaS tools getting launched every day. And um, I just can't keep track with it. No one can. Um, <laughs> as, as long as we, we, we know a, a few different like core tools really well, and we have a team of developers, like we can figure out anything. Nothing's rocket science. Do you, uh, you know, when you, when you look at the different tool sets that are out there, like it's like the pop-up's a great example, right? We often mm -hmm. get that like, hey, I'm going to get a specialty thing. And that's how it's sold. It's like, would you buy, would you go to your financial advisor because they're good at cooking? No, you want them to be a specialist in this thing. But we also have trouble as business owners and solopreneurs, especially discerning where there is no differentiated value maybe in something like how do you yeah. take somebody to say, this is not differentiated. I, we can do the same thing with other things that you maybe already have. Yeah, I'm, I like to, I liken it to hoarding in a sense. Um, and sometimes, you know, we're all kind of guilty of this. Um, I love AppSumo, but do I really need to buy a new app every week? <laughs> do I need these like 40 different lifetime deals? Probably not. Um, so it's just all about going back to, you know, what are your short-term and long-term objectives and goals as a business? Um, and is your, is your current tech stack um, solving that and helping you get there? And it's just really evaluating each tool. Like, is, is it going to get you there? Is it going to help you scale? Um, and a lot of people are like, I never thought of it like that. Um, that was easy. Like, no, it's not going to help me scale. Like, no, I don't need it. Yeah. When you, 
when you approach a client or when a client comes to you, what's the, what's the kind of origination and what's the first conversation like when you want to find where you are going to be a good fit for, for an organization? Yeah. I mean, I ask about every single tool that they're using. <laughs> um, do you like it? Do you not? Uh, you know, no, people have the right to, to love their business and love how it's built. And if you don't, then something needs to change. Um, so it's really identifying like the pain points of your tech stack uh, because those tools are ultimately what's running your business from day to day. Um, so, you know, it's a small problem that can lead into a bigger one. So I'd like to, to geek out on, it, on the tools that people are using. Is it, do you find that people are fairly, right? there's this neat thing where sometimes even when we have too many tools, we're weirdly proud of it. Cause we're like, oh, I got this really neat thing. I'm using product X and product Y. And I kind of made this weird thing that makes them work together. I don't know if it's supposed to be that way. Like we can kind of geek out on it. And then on the other side is people are like, I'm not really sure. I think we've got HubSpot. It may be connected to some other things on the website. <laughs> what's the, what kind of styles of that first interview uh, do you feel? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all over the board there. And it's really, I guess, in the second call where we dive deeper. Um, and I think it's really funny when I, I, I like to send a lot of preliminary questions to people and they list out like, here's the 10 tools that I'm using. That's it. And I'm like, okay, that, that's funny because that, that's not the case. And then we get on the call and I'm like, <laughs> And like, oh, what are you doing for video conferencing? Like, oh, right, Zoom. And I'm like, okay, what about your invoicing? Oh, right, QuickBooks. And I'm like, okay, isn't that part of your tech stack? Is that not important to like integrate? Um, like really to have a, a business that allows you to scale, like each and every tool needs to be speaking to each other. Um, it's 2020. And if you have any tools that have a closed API or no integrations, like there's no excuse for that. Like, <laughs> yeah, that is that is one thing that I'm always amazed by. and And, and it's... I often tell people, even when I was an enterprise software buyer and influencer in an organization, I would say, I would always ask the vendor, I'm like, do you have an open, you know, RESTful API that's easily uh, accessible? And they'd be like, if they say no, they're like, oh, are you using that today? You know, how would you use it? I'm like, well, it's not about how I use it. It's how another piece of software I have will use it. So I know you've got interoperability. Yeah, they say, like, can I ask, like, yeah, why, why do you need an open API? I'm like, is, that's really a question. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's, it really is an immediate disqualifier. Maybe it wasn't like 10 years ago, but today it's an immediate disqualifier. I think it tells you as much about the, the choices that vendor is making as a partner mm -hmm. as much as they're a product. Mm -hmm. which is really, because we know there is no single pane of glass, right? Whatever, whatever BS thing, you know, the ultimate one funnel tool or whatever you've got that you've been sold is like, this is it. You can throw away all your other tools. Like, no, no, I can't. <laughs> I mean, yes, there are some tools out there like that, but you're putting all your eggs in one basket when it comes to your whole business. So if that company has downtime, then your whole business is down. Um, so I'd like to remind people of that. Um, because oftentimes like with Entreport, it does everything. They're like, oh, well, can I just do like, get rid of this, 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 and this? And like, hold on. I'm like, if it went down for a day, like what would that mean to your business? <laughs> so redundancy well, is important. That's actually interesting that you bring that up. So like you, so you introduced that as part of your kind of design process is that resiliency, it includes diversity of toolkits, really. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's like a Venn diagram. I mean, it, these tools have overlapping functionalities and some tools do it better than other. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's diversity and, and, and some overlap.
But it, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny because uh, it is actually a design function, you know, especially when you do like enterprise systems design, you kind of sometimes purposefully have more than you need because you have to in the case right. that suddenly it goes away or like, how do you deal with a disruption? And that's a, an interesting thing. Yeah. When you look at the products yourself to evaluate, like you said, there's just way too many tools out there. How do you, how do you kind of keep on top of things yourself on, you know, how much time should I spend going on looking at the stuff that's out there that I don't know about versus how much should I dig in further on the stuff I already know? Yeah, I mean, well, that that's my job. I mean, it's, it's business development and it's develop it's developing my business and that's, you know, broadening my knowledge, the tools we use. Um, and so, yeah, we're guilty. Of, like, personally, I'm guilty of having too many tools because I'm just trying them. Uh, and uh, like just the other day, um, we became a partner for Zenkit and I'm like, I had no idea about Zenkit and like we're learning about it. Um, and it's a great alternative to some of the other tools that we pitch for people. Um, so yeah, it's just part of ongoing education for me and for my team. What would you say is the most, one of the more common mistakes that you see, maybe a solopreneur or somebody's just getting started? What, what are those first early mistakes that you see repeated over and over again? When somebody automates a process that they have not proven before. So it, it will, you know, like straight from just not even existing to fully automated, like, you kind of have to go the whole semi-automated route, <laughs> prove that process, and then go all in. Yeah, doing bad things fast is, a, is what automation does, right? If you, exactly, if you had yeah. a poor process, you just do it faster and more effectively. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm guilty of it too because I'm impatient, um, but I've learned my lesson, so <laughs> um, we help our clients not make that same mistake. Yeah, well, and... The other thing is, uh, I mean, heck, I learned this. Uh, I'm in the business of doing this for myself and for other folks that I advise. And, and I still fall victim to it as well. As many years into it as I am, I'll do something, seems pretty resilient. And then I'm like, ah, I get lazy or I let it slip. And next thing you know, I look and like, hey, wait, I literally just found out as I'm talking to you today that like the last three podcasts haven't gone up. Like, how did I not know that I didn't post podcasts for three weeks in a row? I'm like, something this is not cool. And so I made the classic mistake and now, you know, hard lesson learned, go back and, and make sure I don't let that happen again. Yeah. I think a lot of automators are like that. Um, like our brains are kind of like that. Yeah, it's going to work. Like just launch it. Um, but for me, it's been really important to, to recognize my weaknesses and um, just to sort of accept it and then build myself up with people in my team that, that that's their strength. Um, so I have a business manager and like automation technicians that, I like, did you do this? Did you check that? I'm like, no, I didn't. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I was lazy about it. Uh, so it's just, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a creating a team that uh, is built around those weaknesses. Well, and that's important. Like when, because like you said, it's kind of in our nature, especially like you're as a, as a leader and as a builder yourself, you mm -hmm. want to do just enough to know that you could do it for somebody else and feel comfortable and consistent in how you could do it. You don't necessarily think about your own resilience because you, you know you got to answer that question for a, a client and you would obviously approach the client experience different yeah. than you know what do they say like the cobbler's kids have have worn out shoes is the old old saying so it's exactly. pr pretty easy for us so how do you how do you find a team like how did you build the team when you got started and you knew okay i've got a i've got a thing we need to do but now i need to make it a we <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it all started with Entreport. Entreport has so many functionalities. It's email marketing, SMS marketing, postcards, um, has a robust API, um, landing pages, uh, tracking e-commerce. And I'm like, cool, I can sort of know a bit of everything and be a, like a, an expert in one or two things. But at the end of the day, I'm not an expert in all things Entreport. So that's when I started like to recruit for drag and drop landing page designers. Um, that's something I've come to, to, to learn is very hard to come by is a designer who can not only design, but also use those drag and drop tools. Um, developers, API developers, so just sort of building my company around Entreport's functionalities. And then very quickly, about a year in, I realized like, okay, I have to stop drinking the Kool-Aid, like Entreport's not the best for every everybody and that's all right. Um, so we've turned into like an, an agnostic company um, to where if people come from us, they know they're not gonna get pitched on Entreport or, or ClickFunnels or HubSpot. It's gonna be like, what, what are your goals and objectives? And then let's, let's create that tech stack together. Um, not a tech stack that uh, necessarily feeds into my affiliate income. Yeah, well, it, but you, and you've done it right. Like I think that's, that's actually admirable because a lot of people would immediately get these big eyes and say like, I've got to, we've got to become an everything company. Like, no, like let's, let's prove ourselves out with a specialty that we've got, find customers where it's a fit. Like you're not, sometimes maybe you like would, Hey, if you had a choice between two things, I'm going to lean you towards Entreport because we've got a bunch of really fantastic integrations we've built or whatever, mm. but you're doing the right thing in that you've, you went with what you knew you could do in a fantastic way for an, uh, for a customer. And right. then now you invest in your own business in expanding the portfolio, but not doing it too early, which incredibly smart, right? And yeah, we got, you're an MBA. So you've clearly, you've made choices about educating yourself on how to operate a business, uh, not just how to sell a thing and, and sell it at, you know, 10X type of marketing capabilities. Right, exactly. This is an interesting thing I've always asked your, what does the MBA program look like relative to being a CEO? <laughs> How much of the ivory tower actually came over to, uh, to automated dreams? Um, I mean, the only thing that came over is the looming student debt, of course. <laughs> um, and it's like, I have to scale this business and, and create a, a business that, you know, can operate without me. Um, yeah, um, I think what, what's really come over, it's, of course, taught you critical thinking. That's like the number one thing they teach you. Um, and also that it's n not the specialist that build a business. It really is the generalist that built a business. Um, so, you know, in, in a startup phase, it's really building your team with, gen with a bunch of generalists who take ownership um, and who are resourceful. And then your team expands into specialists from there. Um, yeah. It's, it's always the classic challenge of like, you're learning, like you said, sort of methodologies and stuff that's taken from almost like canon of how businesses have scaled and, and quite, I mean, obviously the MBA, the primary target is a lot of extremely large enterprise organizations. They want to say like, these are tried and true practices and, and how do we, but you know, a lot of it translates over. Here's an interesting one. If you, if you could go back 10 years, knowing that what you're doing today, would you have altered your path through the MBA route? <laughs> I probably wouldn't have gone to college. 
<laughs> you would have got right right down to business, eh? The the most um, the most valuable in terms of ROI um, was my certification in entrepreneur. More valuable than my MBA than my college degree. Like that, you know, tenfold has brought me more money. Um, and I don't know, maybe like the MBA on my email signature has caused more people to speak to me, but maybe that's about it. <laughs> and, and actually, it's 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 interesting you bring that up because I think that we still really have a lot of those things, right? This is why we often say like, you know, people say the, the, the best title to have is founder because it shows you're, you're going out on an edge. You're, you're leading, you're doing something where the path has not been walked before. Mm -hmm. MBA shows that your commitment to a significant investment in yourself, both financially and, and through time and effort, so yeah, it's this weird thing of like, if I got rid of the MBA and I had five more years of running the business, would I be scaling at the same rate? Would I have the same kind of ability to interface with customers? It's true. But I, I yeah. think it's, it is, May, here's the question. For let's say e-com students and business commerce students today, do you think that the curriculum is valid based on like what you know you can do in what you've done with automated dreams and, and what you've seen your peers do in the sort of startup industry it's too general um it, <laughs> I, I know there's a lot of different specialties or like majors or minors but still at, at that point it's, it's just way too general um to really mean much <laughs> in terms of building a business yeah um like i think entrepreneurship should be taught a lot more um, than just like a single class out of that whole curriculum. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, it, then it becomes the interesting thing of we're seeing more of like kind of the, the Y combinators, you know, of the world that are, that are coming out there, of course, sort of the more famous of, of the bunch that are, you know, bringing founders in front of other founders and, and helping to incubate. Uh, did you have any experience going to like an incubator or, or something in that, that vein at all you you just or did you go out on your own you said that's it we're gonna figure this out <laughs> yeah no i went in on my own um and i think i'm at the point where i'd like to hop into something that something like that for a different venture but yeah no it's it's been as you'd say bootstrapped on my own no incubator well and and that is the interesting thing too right just like bootstrapping by your own effort is uh, incredible making choices like going revenue funded, which is really cool. And, and you're, you know, you're, you've got a great customer base today. Mm -hmm. How much do you now at this, you know, phase in the organization, so you're three years in, you know, are you, do you look back sort of retrospectively at periods of time and said, this is kind of the plan we had, are we, are we sticking with it? How, how much is looking back as well as looking forward? I think a lot more is, yeah, um, that's a great question. Um, like by nature, I'm a very spontaneous person and I get bored with things. And so I look back and I'm like, okay, my business sort of reflected that. Um, and it's really been this year that we focus on, you know, cutting away things that don't make sense in the long-term like goals and vision. And we, I didn't really have that goal and vision. It was just doing and playing and I'm like, okay, well, it's no longer playing anymore. You know, I have 20 people whose livelihoods depend on this and we're hoping to have more employees. Um, like, what is the vision? What does this look like? Um, 
And so a lot of the, the forward thinking is, um, for me, what's really important is bringing that whole bringing value to the human talent. And so everyone we hire, like the, the biggest core value is, um, is ownership and entrepreneurship. Um, and like one of the first questions I ask is, you know, what's your exit plan? Like, what do you want to be doing? Um, I was at a, a conference a couple of years ago and the CEO is like, well, this is great. I come into work every day and I see, you know, 50 people working for my dream day in and day out. I'm like, that's actually really sad. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I want to know what your dream is as an employee coming in. Like, what are the tools you need to learn? Like, what are the skills you need to know to be able to exit from us and do what you love to do? And, you know, just love working with us while you can. Um, and, and yeah, that, that, that's been great. I, I really respect the way you just described it and your approach to it, because I think mm -hmm. my favorite thing that I love to do for people is when, say they, when I bring people into the team or, or, you know, it, it, wherever I've been, I always say like, all right, what can I do to make this the, a great part of your lifelong career that you maybe get out of, you know, because of what we gave you. And mm -hmm. quite often they very seriously invest in themselves at the organization. So everybody benefits because you give them that openness versus like, all right, how many hours a day can you commit to, to my dream? And like, uh, and so well described the way you said that, it's kind of sad. It's like, there's these 50 people working for my dream. Like, oh, that's, that's not good. <laughs> and I, I also made the mistake of thinking that everyone wants to be an entrepreneur and not everyone does. And that's fine. <laughs> um, but it's, I think it's just really important to have like an open door policy, like transparent, like what are your goals? Um, like I had someone say like, yeah, maybe I'd like to be an entrepreneur, but it, I think in like 15 years and like, oh, okay. <laughs> it like, is, it is, cool. uh, it is a challenge that we tend to, you know, it's like a, I had a friend of mine, he was a singer in my band and he said like, any of us should be able to sing. Like he, he was just not an assumption, like I know how to do it and I was just born with it. So it's just like a natural thing. You're like, no, no, it's very much a talent that you've honed over time. Like it's not automatic in entrepreneurship, even though startups attract a very entrepreneurial mindset, they themselves may not necessarily be future founders. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And in fact, sometimes the best thing you can do is give them the experience to teach them that it's probably, they want to be part of a startup experience, but they probably don't want to lead one out because it's a, it's a big difference, right? Yeah. And I think I'll um, sort of side note, but something that's allowed us to bootstrap and grow where we are was very early on realizing that the talent pool is global. Um, I think a, a lot of startups, how I thought like, oh, they need investment because they need to hire like US based, like, like, you know, if, if we're in Portland, we need to hire everyone in Portland. And like, that's a lot of money. <laughs> um, when it's like, okay, well, like our development team is all out of Barcelona um, and they're very talented. It's like, okay, just because they're not in the US does not mean they're, they're not very talented. So we've been able to um, sort of recruit in different global talent pools to have the best team to allow us to bootstrap um, yeah, that's been fun too. But that's the, the hard thing about having a global team is there's so many cultural differences. Yeah, well, it's, it's an interesting challenge because yeah, like you said, you've got time zones, you've got cultural uh, differences in just day-to-day -day operations and, mm -hmm. and, you know, depending on especially the size of the team. And if you have five teams from four different cultures or three different cultures, it's yeah. very diverse and it's probably tough to create like policy and vision and process internally at first. Yeah. 
yeah like for example um like southeast asia um they'll very likely never tell you no i can't do that even when they can't <laughs> so <laughs> i've had to learn that um like central eastern europe they'll they're very blunt and direct um which is hard and also they like to have small talk before you hop into a phone call and i'm very like straight to the point on on business calls and um like that doesn't build trust with them um with spain uh i found out that basically the whole country takes all of july off <laughs> <laughs> plan accordingly. <laughs> yeah, so, there's all these nuances. It, it keeps me on my toes, that's for sure. Well, you've, you've gone the route of, of making this part of the way you run as an organization and as a team, and it would make you very affable as a, to a client because you now will be able to adapt to their sort of organizational customs, so to speak, right? And that's, mm -hmm. and that's tough, like quite often when we go to a vendor, especially one that deals with automation, they come in with a very opinionated stack, a very opinionated process, yeah. and they come in with a statement of work that was predefined, that they just pulled off a of Google Drive, they copy and pasted and did a search and replace for your company name. Yeah. And that's, maybe that works, but that, that isn't really the experience you're trying to create, right? Right, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, automation is, it's a very slippery scope. Like, I don't know if you figured it out how to nail down the scope, but the, one that doesn't move, but it's just not there. Um, so like, we like to hop into things saying, well, there is no scope. Like, you know, here, here's our, our capabilities, our competencies, here's the goals and objectives you outlined, and here's what the working relationship sort of looks like, but you're free to like play, free to request, you know, I want to do this, this, and that. Um, and so we have really flexible arrangements with all our clients and that, that seemed to work out well for us. Um, I, I just really hate, I personally hate it. And I think clients hate it when you have to go to them like, Hey, look, yeah, we can do that, but that's outside of the scope and it's going to be this much extra X, Y, and Z. And that doesn't, that doesn't feel very joyful. <laughs> no. And, and I think that's, that's it. We've been kind of trained on kind of like the, the big consulting firms and, and that's it. Like it's, you know, they, they use it as an opportunity to kind of create this scoped experience and then everything somehow is just outside of scope. Exactly. <laughs> At least it certainly is what I had. I'm like, hey, can we do this? Like, oh yeah, we'll have to do that the next, in the next quarterly planning session. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not how we're going to work here. I can't do this quarterly planning thing. Like we got a problem right now. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, so internally, because you have the interesting balance, so you actually have to have, operate a decent systems team and a design team, which is much more, uh, like very much more human in the how much you're involving that side of the process. Like there's pure systems developers that are creating mm -hmm. software. Not that they don't need human understanding, but you're creating interaction experiences with mm -hmm. stuff like bots. Um, yeah. So how do you kind of manage the development flow as you, you know, do things? Do you have like a you know, certain methodologies you as your team have adapted to or? Yeah, I'm like, how do I manage? I do not project manage. So <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I took myself out of project management about two years ago, my company really grew. Like that is not my, my specialty. Um, like we, we had a very talented um, project manager, scrum master, agile master, like black belt, six Sigma, 
um, who set up a lot of our systems. Um, and lucky for her, she, she had her own SaaS startup and she's off doing her own thing, which is really great to see out there. Um, yeah, so she set up some systems that we, we have scaled inside of. And uh, yeah, we have a, a few project managers, we have a project architects. Um, so a couple of different layers. Um, navigating the water of, you know, hard development and sort of like a, a fluid scope of um, what is your bot conversation going to look like? And yeah, it, it really, it really is two different worlds. How have you found the reception to customers when you talk to them about like, so bot automation is a great example. It's a, it's a fantastic way to create interactions, mm -hmm. but I find that people are still not sure whether it's the right thing for them, like personally. And so it, they sort of imply that maybe it's not right for their business, but I think it's, it's an interesting balance. So I'm curious how you have been able to introduce people towards that and, and where it's valuable. Yeah. I mean, that, that's our fastest growing department is chat marketing, conversational marketing, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. When people are a little unsure about that and, and like they say like, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't fit my organization. Um, like 99% of all organizations, it, it can benefit. It, the question really is like, do, does your business have conversations? Like, do you have conversations? And, and all bot marketing is, is conversations at scale. Um, so we had a client who's, who really blew up during this COVID time um, and had like a two, three person customer service team blow up and do like a $60,000 a month spend on customer service. Wow. Um, so they scaled those conversational conversations, those FAQ type questions with actual like human beings. Um, and like they wanted to decrease that by 10% in the first month. And I'm like, okay, well, you've had these conversations at scale. They're the same conversations. Let's put that into something like IBM Watson and a messenger chatbot so that you could have these conversations at an even greater scale. Um, so there's many use cases. Um, and I think people get overwhelmed with how many use cases there are for chat bot marketing that they sort of shy away from it. I, I think that's probably one of the more common problems. Like I, I'm at the sort of thing myself where I've got a few different, you know, sort of side hustles, I guess one would say that are going on. Mm -hmm. and now I'm at that thing of like, uh, they're all going to die on the vine because I'm yeah. not doing any of them right. And I'm also overwhelmed with how do I take any one of them to like the next level of, can I automate, do more things like create, you know, I've got all the templates ready to go for a nice email flow and, and, you know, stuff like that. But it's really hard to make the first judgment call of what's the right thing to do first. I agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. What is the right thing to do first? I'm, I'm not sure. Have you, have you found that answer? <laughs> yeah, no. And I think that's, that's why I said the best thing about automation is finding people that do it. Like, I, mean, I think, I think the question there is, is what you're doing worth doing? And if the answer is no, then why are you doing it? Yeah, no, I, I think that's, it's a, it's a tough question to ask ourselves sometimes, especially because once we're doing it, we have this weird kind of sunk cost fallacy of like, well, I'm doing it all the time. So it must be necessary. And, and at some point you say like, what, what if you, what if you couldn't do it? You know, it's, uh, I call it the, <laughs> yeah, sick, the sick day method, right? Like if, if you, if you work for a company and I get this all the time, people say like, 
I, I'm working in the evening. I work on the weekends. Like I work in a startup. So we use some crazy hours. Well, I, I buy choice, right? I, I, make a, I make a choice. It is balanced, but I choose to break the balance a lot. Mm-hmm. And I feel overwhelmed pretty good chunks of the week. And that's normal. I, I, I'm accepting that. You know, for me, I'm, I'm letting myself get that way. But the, even when the team is putting pressure, if I say I'm sick, I need to take the day off. Every single person on the team is like, do it. What do you need help with? We'll take it on. If you asked for a day off, people are like, can you defer maybe till next week? Like we got a lot going on. <laughs> but so I think of it as like, if you stopped doing what you're doing right now, what would break? Yeah. It's a great question. No, and just more of, um, it's funny. I, I have a business, uh, our business manager who really balances me out when it comes to like those sorts of things. When we were talking about our time off policy, I'm like, why not unlimited time off? He's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, no startup has that. I'm like, okay. I'm like, you do whatever you want then. Cause I'll give you unlimited time off. <laughs> so <laughs> I think there is a balance there. Um, but I believe that there really is no such thing as work-life balance. I mean, the time you spend at work is your life. Um, and if you want to take a bunch of time off then maybe you don't want to be here. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, it is that weird problem of like, especially the, you know, we have an unlimited PTO policy. So, and, and it's the classic thing. I, I probably take, I, first I probably took way less time off than I ever did when I had like three weeks vacation. You're like, man, you know, I would always carry it over and I'd have people from HR yelling at me like, you need to use your days. They're going to get cut off. And then all of a sudden I had unlimited PTO and I think it took a week and a half off that first year. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it is balanced, right? Like you, it's deep that you say that, right? Like you, do you find, because you are probably less likely to feel the balance because you're, you, you are the business in effect, right? So you've always, yeah. you will always treat it that way. How do you feel that the team works in seeing your way of approaching that for yourself? I mean, again, it, it's just, it comes down to our interview process and our hiring process. It's really hiring people who have a high level, a high level of ownership, um, and people who have a high level of ownership, like if they need time off, like fine, but like I respect that. I'm not going to ask questions. Um, yeah, and, and also like it's it's really hard as a startup to have redundancy as well because redundancy costs money. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, we're, we're recruiting for another project manager because we just have one, and like you know, this is a human being. They need time off. Um, they can't be on 52 weeks a year. Um, so it's really trying to build redundancy in so people can ask for time off and, and take time off. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a weird, uh, balancing act. <laughs> when do you know that you need to scale a function within the company? When I have <laughs> yeah, the question, uh, it's, uh, really, I look at when people are about 80% maxed out. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, they have 20, 20% more in them for similar work. I'm like, okay, well, what if they're at a hundred percent that I'm scrambling? Um, I, I've made the mistaken past of, of, of hiring fast and hiring fast is probably one of the most detrimental things you can do for a company. Um, so it's really, yeah, I look at when someone's workloads are on 80%. Because I think the, the other thing is, you know, we won't have to go deep into specifics, but like 
letting a team member go and mm -hmm. the effect because quite often, especially in a small startup, like you're talking about a, a significant percentage of the company. If you got 10 people or 20 people and you let two people go, that's a percentage, that's a measurable percentage of the company's human count, right? It, it's uh, you never want to make the wrong decision of bringing somebody on. And if you want them, yeah. to, if they leave, you want it to be because like you say, because they're growing, they're starting their own startup, like amazing, that's congratulations, we'll help you, right? That's yeah. Did you find that the, have you had to make some of those tough decisions and? <laughs> yeah, I did definitely. Um, and I think it all boils down to, it's just really, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of, it's sticky because I'm looking out for the organization, but I'm also looking at the person. If, if they're struggling, they're not having fun, like they're not enjoying their job, then why should we keep them? Um, and as much as I would like to, you know, be there like 40 hours a week for each and every employee that needs help, I, I can't be. Um, so like, we don't have these, these huge training manuals, these huge processes to dump people into, like, we're not some large, we're not HubSpot, um, where people are going to, you can just like slot people in and out. Um, yeah. You can't just send them to the e do these four e-learning modules and then you'll be ready to go for your like no 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 like this you're going to you're going to shadow a few people and then we're going to throw you at a customer it's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's throwing people in there. So yeah, I mean we, we've had to fire people just when it, it just hasn't worked out. Um and the biggest I, thing is that when other team members can't trust or you know trust them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How, how did it how did it feel the first time you had to do that? Um, yeah, oftentimes it feels very freeing because a lot of time is spent in delaying that decision. A lot of like time and energy and just stress. You're just stressed about how do I deliver that? How do I do this? Should I do this? Should I not do that? Then when you finally do that, you're like, wow, like if I did this sooner, it would have been better for that person and also for us. Um, yeah, so our, our advisor says hire, hire slow and fire fast. Which <laughs> it's that well, it, and I'm sorry, I shouldn't even laugh. I mean, like it sounds it, like those words are are important. It's really hard to execute that as a practice. Like as humans, yeah. we we don't want to do it. Like you said, I have a huge respect for the way you just described it. Right? We belabor the decision because, but you don't do it. You even said the way you the why you belabor the decision is because what's the impact on them which is very different for most people who would just be like, look, I'm suffering as a CEO. How do I do this? I don't want this person to hate me, which is yeah. me, me, me. The, every part yeah. of that is me. You're, I mean, and, and, and oftentimes, it's very different. Yeah. yeah and, and oftentimes you've made the decision, but then you actually execute the decision two weeks later. So like throughout that whole two weeks, you're, you're just like building resentment towards that person for no reason. Um, <laughs> Yeah, which is not great for you either. No, and it's it's a tough responsibility, you yeah. know, as a as a leader to do that. When when did you when did it suddenly hit you that you're carrying a lot more weight than you may have realized as a CEO? <laughs> yeah, when, uh, when we when we finalize our benefits package and like benefits, holy crap. Um, <laughs> people's livelihoods are on the line here. It's not just like some sort of gig they have or some sort of sh small like 
pay as we go contract. Um, so like very real, like people's whole livelihoods is automated dreams. Uh, so that that really hit me. I'm like, this is not a hobby, nor has it really been. Um, yeah. In a, it's in a weird way, like even like, you know, when we work in startups, we tend to maintain that startup. There's a point where it grows and you can't call it a startup because of age or because of, you know, revenue or whatever the marker is. But right. I truly think the attitude is, it is good to think and act small at scale. Right. That's versus race to become, you know, Accenture or IBM, you know, God bless them. Like they're great folks and amazing folks work there and they're doing amazing things, but I would not want to run my business. Like I, I love that people would know six Sigma, but I would never want it implemented for like my back end, like ISO 27,001, like uh, operations. It's not my dream to get yeah. certified for back office operations. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a whole other ball game. <laughs> if you went back four years ago, mm -hmm. do you see? Did you see today's Vince in the future? Um, that's a great question. I think so. Um, yeah, I think about four years ago, I came to the realization: like, if you don't like what you're doing, you don't like a situation, then it's, it really is only in your power to change that. Um, and that's what I'm doing. Like when we don't like something, like when something needs to change, we change it. Like, uh, uh, yeah, I didn't answer that question very well. <laughs> um, it's just sort of, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm playing with this. Um, we're all playing with this. How early did you know that you were, I always like to call it, we, we call it unemployable, right? Where you knew that you kind of wanted to, to do something that wasn't going to fit the mold. I don't think I'm unemployable, so to say, but <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, great question. <laughs> I think I knew after my like first real job out of my MBA, like getting like a $3 raise after a year, I was like, whoa, I put in a lot more time and effort and energy like every single day. And I'm doing this, this and that. I brought so much value to the company and here's what I'm getting for it. I'm like, okay, well now I'm bored. Um, uh, yeah, like I'd like to be rewarded for for what I actually put in. Um, yeah, and, and I, I realized that, I guess, when I was 20, 21. Yeah, it's, uh, well, it's good because a lot of people don't get that until like kind of we're way down the road and we have to go through tough experiences but it's a good thing too i think it's actually fine if somebody's like you know i was i was later in the game myself before i moved to a startup just because like i was like i didn't know if that would work and i was you know, in canada there weren't as many like really strong startups it was tougher to find but now it's funny and like they've always got this like the, the 30 under 30 and you know like all of these kind of really big focus and i said i'm aiming for like 50 under 50 but i'm gonna get there and i got a few years to go i can still do this but yeah if you could I, I think it's also really important like entrepreneurship takes a lot of risk if you're not willing to take that risk it's just not going to work um it's all about failing fast like getting over it learning from your mistakes and trying again um, when you fail slow, then that's when you sort of just outright fail altogether. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just basically trying to slow the bleeding, but it's actually not adjusting and, and yeah. Like you have to be willing to max out all your credit cards. Like sometimes it calls for that. 
that is uh, that's probably one of the biggest responsibilities too, especially early on. Is like you, it's it's tough, right? There's you know there's going to be days. Did have you ever been close where you weren't sure that you were going to make it, but you had more than you on the line, and you had to kind of how do you protect other people from the decisions that you're forced to make on their behalf because of the greater responsibility you have as a CEO? Yeah. Uh, that probably happened like last year at this time, honestly. Um, and, um, yeah, like luckily I had one other like management person in my team just making decisions with me and we were hanging right, right on a thread just because of, um, I, I'm, I was prolonging a decision on a SaaS product we launched that I knew just wasn't working. And I'm like, well, I put so much time and effort into this. It has to work. Like, let's just keep dumping money into it. And I finally had to rip the bandaid off. Um, and I should have ripped it off like months sooner. Um, so like I realized like, okay, well my, my inaction like can have some very real impact on these people. Like they could have just lost all their jobs if I had delayed it longer. Yeah. That's a, and, and it is tough, right? Like it's, you know, it, it's like funny it's thing swallowing is, your pride. <laughs> yeah. Well, and in effect, isn't it weird that we become victims of the very thing we sell against, right? Like you're selling people against status quo, too many tools, investing time into stuff that doesn't have value. We're imperfect beings. Mm -hmm. We're very naturally going to fall into the patterns. That's why they're patterns. That's why they're, that's why we can create products to solve these problems because yeah. they're persistent problems. Right. But so when you, when someone comes into you and they say, I have a dream and it's automated dreams. <laughs> what's the, what's the kind of key question you ask them aside from uh, kind of like what, what, what's your exit? I, I'm curious, what, how do you know that they are going to feel right for what you believe the, the vision of the company should be? Um, yeah, it's really, uh, just making sure that they fit all of our core values. If, if they don't fit one of them, then they don't fit any of them. Yeah. It's like yeah. if someone takes ownership, um, but they're, they're not a risk taker, like that's not in our value, like, you know, or they're afraid to fail and they're just going to not be transparent with us. Um, yeah. So they can, they can mark four out of five of the boxes, but there's a reason why we have these five core values. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of funny that we, we also like, you just want, you like, I got four out of five. Like you, you probably still like, is it going to be close enough? But like, it's really only five things. I am only asking five things. If we can't find that there's, there should be enough humans on this planet that we can find people that will do these five things. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you, or do you have say like a, a business or a, a mentor or a, another leader that you would model yourself after, like when you're struggling and thinking, you know, this is how, you know, you know, what, what would Steve Jobs do as people say, or what would, you know, uh, Dustin, whatever, somebody out there, like, is there some of that you've looked to with respect on how they've approached certain situations? Mm, I mean, I do have a mentor. His name is Josh Ovet. Um, and he's also in the same industry as me and like he helped me with value-based selling and um yeah i mean i guess we have a what, what would josh do um, and I, I don't have to sort of uh guess at what he would do because i always have my i'm speed dial. um so that's been really important to have mentors that um you know 
you're, you're not the biggest person in the room. Somebody you can, you can go and they've made that mistake before. I'm going to have to have you and Josh on as a round table. So I had Sam on the podcast actually. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and Sam and Josh are fantastic fellas. And then they, I love what they're doing. Um, so yes, that's the smallness of the world that we're in is that ultimately my next guest hopefully will be your mentor because of another side connection. But I love that, right? That, yeah. This is an industry where we can just find other founders or other leaders or other just peers in general. Mm-hmm. And people are very willing to share their experiences. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the world of, of business is just evolving so fast. <laughs> um, it's, it's really hard to be an expert in any one thing for too long before it becomes obsolete um, if you haven't adapted. So I, I think being transparent is really important. Internally and externally. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and I think this is the there's I call it you know uh, empathic transparency, the ability to be transparent, but also to deliver the message, not in just like, well, this is how it is, and well, it's life's too bad. You know, <laughs> like we, we yeah. can do it in a very good way. If you if you have advice for somebody who says, I'm thinking what I do as a consulting practice could probably be a business. What's some pieces of advice you'd give them to evaluate whether that's a decision they should make? I think it's always a decision they should make. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I mean, um, yeah, let's let's see. (laughs) I guess, is is it something they they wanna be doing long-term? Do do they they enjoy it um, day in and day out? Or is it just a means to an end? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, if, if they're in a consulting business and they don't really like what they're doing, but they know it could be a business, then uh, I'd say don't do it. <laughs> it's actually, it's neat that you bring that up because I've, I've seen a few situations like this. How, how often have you seen that sort of means to an end? Like people who just choose a business because they believe the business will be successful, but they don't have the passion for it. A lot. I mean, I, I did it in the beginning. Um, I offered a lot of like WordPress design, WordPress development, and I actually hate WordPress. Like <laughs> those are the projects where I wanted to rip my hair out and I made a decision like the end of the first year, like to lay off our WordPress people. Like I am not taking this on. Like I know people are asking for it, but I don't enjoy it. Like I'm not going to scale my business. Um, and some people are really good at like separating that. Like, you know, this is just business and here's what I enjoy, but I, I'm not good at separating no, and, and, and I'm with you, like there's, you know, and it's certainly, it's not that that thing isn't important, but if it's not core to your own personal passion, you will never pour into it mm-hmm. what needs to be put into it. And, and it has to be, my belief is like, especially a, a successful consulting team, it has to be something that, you know, it's not just like, hey, look, I can, I knew people that became an Oracle DBA because it paid more than just being a regular database administrator. Like, good on you. Right. I hope you find passion in it and I hope you find money, uh, but I don't think you'll find the two. (laughs) Right. So someone comes to you and they say, "Uh, Vince, I'm, I'm 18 years old. I'm really into doing, I love what your team's doing. And I'm thinking about going the route you did. I'm about to go to school for an MBA. What do you, what do you tell, what's the advice you give that person as they make that decision? 
So you mean my brother? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, he he works with me now, but I'm like, look, find something you like doing and find a niche. Um, like for me, it worked really well. Onsport was a niche tool. There was a niche user base. And I'm like, let me become an expert. Um, and that worked really well for me. I'm like, you know, start with one tool, like um, one tool that has some sort of like partnership listing. Um, and then invest some money in it. Like it took me $2,000 to become an entreport certified consultant. But within the first year, you know, I 10, uh, yeah, I 10 X that, no, hundred X that Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the investment because of being listed on a partner portal. Um, yeah. It's find a niche tool that you like and become an expert in it because someone's looking for an expert. Do you, do you have any kind of like books or guides or anything that you've you found helpful in in this part of your journey and getting started? Um, yeah, I mean, one of the most influential business books um, to me is Conscious Capitalism by John Mackey. Um, yeah, just <laughs> having a moral compass, having some ethics and just uh using every yeah every opportunity is a is in business is a chance to make a statement about your ethics or um who you are as a person that's uh very fitting for yeah. the way that you you run things and you know and again it's the the way you describe your approach what you're doing for you for your team for your customers it definitely is pervasive that you're, you're, you're doing a very human and important thing. And uh, it's a rarity. Uh, I, I wish I could talk to more people who, are, who understand that you can do that and create a, a, a business, a successful organization and a team around that stuff. Cause sometimes people feel like, ah, oh, this is, it's only me, you know, like I, I'll only ever care about this as much as, as anybody else. But I guess that's the one last thing I'll, I'll ask him before we wrap up Vince is, I, I, I describe it often as no one will care as much about the thing you care about as you do. Unless. <laughs> right. So how do we, when do you know that that's okay, but how do you bring people closer to understanding your vision and then moving that into being able to execute consistently based on those values? Yeah. Um, I mean, the most important value that that allows me to execute in all those values and, you know, uh, reach our vision is giving everyone ownership. Um, so if everyone in your team has ownership and they're, they're creating value and, and long lasting impact in your organization, then they do care. They do care a lot, um, which is kind of a weird realization for me. I'm like, yeah, like this employee, this employee, this employee, like cares just as much as I do. And I didn't ask them to come in, you know, to work late or on the weekend. And they're just doing it because they're building value. So, so when you, when, when you allow people to create value um, and to see that impact, um, I, th I think, yeah, that, that bridges not a long line. Was there a, a moment in the, some of the early days where you started to see that happen where someone says, Hey, you know, if you got a second, I, Vince, I think I got an idea that I want us to try. Like did, how do you, how does it feel when those things start to happen? It feels great. Um, yeah. And very early on, I'm like, great. Like any ideas you have, just tell me how you want to do it and let's do it. And like anything's worth trying at this point. We're a startup. 
um, we can be flexible. <laughs> Let's go for it. I think a lot of people that that, that, I, that I hired that came from like a um, a more corporate background are just shy to do that and often surprised when I just said, yeah, let's go for it. It's a wondrous feeling, isn't it? Like knowing it that you can, and I, 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 I've seen more actually, the funny thing is a lot of the bigger organizations are kind of letting sub teams and like groups within the organization, especially in tech, I find they're getting more responsive to like running agile teams within an organization. I used to do that in like IT operations. So it's, I ran this team using agile methodologies for operations. It didn't really, mm -hmm. didn't make sense necessarily because nobody else did. Because I have to talk to the project management organization, which is a bunch of, you know, woo, 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 you know, funny, daddy old suit guys who make 12 month plans that are very right for about a week and a half and then very wrong for the 11 and a half months following. And then you just explain away all the mistakes you made and then you go through the next 12 month planning cycle. But meanwhile, my team is like, the moment you know you're wrong, adjust, pivot, move. Two weeks later, all right, we're back on track. We changed the track. We got on a new track. Like, I, yeah. I was able to introduce that. And so I think maybe with any hope, we'll, we'll see you on the, uh, on the instructor side delivering an MBA or an EMCOM course one day, like you said, to make this a core part of how we teach versus one hour a week out of a 40 hour course load, right? Which is, yeah. I think everybody could benefit from understanding the, the value of putting yourself into, you know, pouring yourself into the organization, being an owner and seeing the results from the, and the impact that you can have, which is, which is pretty magical. So Vince, if people want to find out more, of course, we'll have links. So I'll send them out to, to Automated Dreams uh, for folks that are looking to take you on as uh, who want to become a client. Uh, I'm assuming that there's good ways for them to reach out to you through there. Yep. There's a bot. There's buttons everywhere. Let's just, let's <laughs> exactly. <talk. laughs> exactly. Let's just talk. Uh, I always used to laugh at the thing. Like sometimes you go to, especially news sites are the worst these days. You go to the news site and it's like pop-up newsletter, pop-up video, chatbot, all these things of like, stop it, <laughs> stop it. I just want to read this article. But yeah. when you run an organization as, as good as what you're doing, um, I'm glad that we'll hopefully send some folks your way. And, and, uh, and I wish you and the team a lot of, you know, I won't say luck because it's not luck when you're doing the right things often. And so it's luck is that, is what comes when you do the right things a lot. <laughs> yes. Excellent, Vince. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And oh, and of course, online as well. Uh, do you are do you? You probably don't have too much time for social media, uh, but uh, are there any other ways that folks can reach out to you? I really do not. <laughs> you can reach me on LinkedIn, but I get about fifty pitches a day on LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, um, email me at Vince at Automated Dreams, and that's probably the quickest response. My favorite thing to do is like, I let every invitation sit for like three days, just like a little cooling period. And then I accept it. And then I wait like, a, like 20 minutes later. Hey, you know, and oh, look, another explainer video pitch. Like <laughs> it's, yeah. it's kind of sad that uh, LinkedIn has moved that way, but uh, right. there's value in there somewhere. Well, again, yes. Vince, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate it.